everything starts with a bottom-up approach from my experience. We don't just go to the management and ask, hey, this is the approach that we want to go for and we want you to invest on it. It's not as easy as that. Yes, it's true. Because honestly, we also receive a little bit of resistance in the beginning. But I think it's because if not that they don't want to, they're not open with it, but it's just because they don't see the value yet. The most important thing for me that I can maybe share to others is basically you have to show people how to do it. You have to be kind of like, you have to lead by example. Don't just say that this is what we need to do from the article that I read or, or maybe like other companies are doing that. So you just have to start with something. When it comes to everyone should be a researcher, I'm not sure about that. Research is also a discipline. It's not only an activity. So you have Correct. to be able to have this fundamental, like a basic of like best practices and methodology for research. So I wouldn't say that, but at least to have the right mindset to be able to ask questions. Welcome to Product with Banash. I'm Axel, and in this show, I talk to product leaders and experienced operators across Europe and beyond. Together, we'll learn about their craft, how they build successful products, and unpack the frameworks and secrets they've used in delivering growth for their businesses. I'm joined today by Roxanne, who's going to be my co-host for today's session. I'm super excited to welcome Lucky Primadani today to talk about how we can place UX at the center of product decisioning in growing organizations. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Axel. Hi, Roxanne. How are you? Hello, Lucky. Yeah. I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me to this session. I'm really excited about it. Absolutely. Our pleasure. So I guess maybe just to kick us off, it would be great. You'll definitely do a better job than us on, on this. It'd be great if you could just maybe tell us a little bit about you, maybe what you've been doing in, in the past few years. Great. And then I guess we'll get into talking about your role at Flixbus and this 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 conversation we, we're having today about how do we place users at the center of every conversation. Okay, sure. Hi, everyone. My name is Luki. I am currently working as a senior UX designer and researcher at Flixbus in Berlin. And uh, yeah, in the past, I've been working as a UI UX designer and I also had an experience with graphic design. So I've been also working as a graphic designer in agency and I moved to Berlin in 2014. After I graduated from my master, I studied business design in Milan in Italy. And yeah, ever since I've been in Berlin and enjoying my, my time also apart from working as a, a UX designer and researcher, also I've been actively um, teaching about UX as well for to various audiences. Yeah, that's my story. Super exciting. That's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's exciting times, I would say. Okay, great. Maybe you could give us a little bit of context, right, around mm -hmm. Flixbus. Flixbus, I think it'll be interesting to understand, mm -hmm. you know, how big is the company, how many people work in product and UX, and how are you guys organized, right? Yeah, okay, so... About Flixbus, we are a mobility provider. Our products is ranging from bus to train. So we have Flixbus and Flixtrain, but our focus is we provide people with a booking platform for those who want to travel in an affordable and in a sustainable way. And for where I, I work, I, I'm a part of the IT department at Flixbus. So Flixtech, we call it Flixtech. And I think overall Flixtech has 
more than 200 people. And the company itself, when we talk about FlixBus in general, it's we are at the moment, I think, around 3,000 employees across the, the world. So we also have offices not only in Europe, in the US, but also we currently have a market also in Turkey that we just opened recently. And we are also expanding our business to, for example, FlixTrain is now operating in Sweden. There's so many exciting new products and exciting times for the business as well. And for the UX community at Flix Plus, I would say that we are around 15 people with designers and also researcher, and we also have UX writer. So the UX team is also growing and progressing in the past few years. And it's, it's a really huge achievement for, for us as well to progress with the UX maturity. Amazing. One of the questions I had actually was how research or UX is organized relative to the product organization. What I mean by mm-hmm. that is in some organizations, you'll see UX or user research exist as a service, something that's kind of yeah. like across the board. And in some mm-hmm. other organizations, these functions would be embedded within product teams, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How are you guys organized at Flixbus? So how we structure UX at Flixbus is that at the moment we are still, I mean, my team is user research and innovation team. We are a centralized hub, I would say. So we're not part of the cross-functional team. We're not embedded to the cross-functional team. But our strategy is that we want to I mean, we at the moment are trying to democratize UX research. So then designers and product managers and whoever are interested in user research could apply and implement user research in their team. So our biggest ambassador for UX research at the moment is our designers. Apart from doing designs, they are also doing the research. So our team is currently more as a, a support to the designers in, in those teams. So I know this it's not super ideal still. I would also like to have a researcher embedded to the, each team. But yeah, this is how it is right now. And uh, of course, we, we work on different strategies in order to make that structure as optimized as possible. And Lucky, what, what type of methodologies or tool do you use to empower PMs or product designers to do user research actually? You mean the tool, the research tool itself? Yeah. But, like, uh, do, you, do you help them to have the, the right or good methodologies or how do, you, how do they go with user research? Okay. So I think as the research discipline, I would say, or also activities has been growing a lot in the past few years at Flixbus, we also need to think about how we can scale that. So we, we have a tool right now to, to uh, first of all, to help others to run research as efficient as possible. I would not say as quick because I don't believe that research has to be done quickly, but it has to be done efficiently. So the tool helps us to, to run the research efficiently. And at the same time, there are there are also some methods and mixed methods of research that is available in this tool. So at the same time, they can learn to use the, those methodologies and best practices there. And yeah, at the same time, we also, apart from using the tool, we also for example, conduct usability testing using different tool such as the recording. I don't know if you ever heard of Loopback. Sure. So this is something yeah. that we use as well. So the tool is more like a 
to, to support. But of course, the usability testing itself as a, as a method, we try to make sure that to involve people in this process of how to conduct a good usability testing, how to moderate usability testing, how to ask the right questions in the usability testing and this kind of things. We also provide them with as practices. Mm. So you have training sessions with PMs and product designer and there is kind of burning subjects in some companies, yeah. which is how can we be sure that the insights that we learn are reliable? Because many more people are doing user research, which is great. Yeah. How can we be sure that we use the right insights when we are not just one user researcher in, in the validation process of these insights? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the first, very, the very important thing that I mentioned earlier is that how to make sure that the research is done efficiently. Efficient for me means also it, it's done in a good good way. It's done in a good quality. So what is really important for me is to plan it. So the planning part is really important. So that's why as a team of user researcher, we try to provide planning or like a process that the planning is clear for everyone to follow. For example, we, we need to start with with having a clear background information of why we need to do this research, what is the goal and what are the existing hypotheses, what are the research questions they have and what are the benefits and business impact, what are the metrics that we want to track. If they know already what are what will be the research methods, the user profile and all of this kind of things, it has to be clear in the planning process so it can ensure the good quality of the research afterwards. So usually in the agile environment, sometimes people want to do everything quickly and they forget how to plan it right. And this happens a lot also, although we have already this planning process to make sure that people follow it, but people still want to move fast. Sometimes we have to kind of like, yeah, but this we cannot launch this research study because it's done poorly. So we have to we have to take a step back and to spend a little bit more time to to talk about uh, the quality itself before we launch the survey or the, the research and, method, sorry. And I guess there's a there's a knowledge management challenge around this as well, right? Like yeah. how, how have you guys gone about documenting all of this so mm-hmm. that a wider community of people, essentially non-researchers, can actually practice research inside of Flixbus, right? Yes, documentation is also one of the other most important things. So we try to provide a template, for example, so people can write the, or like to, to re- document the research insights, for example, to provide the reports, how, how to do a right report, how to do, how to write the right insights. So this kind of things, we try to document everything in one research repository and research report template. So the template that we are having right now has been used by designers. And this is, this template is also used for the designers to communicate their research insights to the team and to the organization. That's the example. Are the um, other user researcher, product manager and product uh, designer the only people to do user research in the company or are they any people from marketing mm-hmm. or, yeah. or care agents? Yeah, actually I've been, we've been trying to communicate more to the business colleagues. So we're talking about business development colleagues, project managers. So actually from the recent project, I, I work closely with the business development for the team that is actually working on the ramp up of FlixTrain. And we are, we're trying to understand how is the, the, 
how is it like the current status of our customers when it comes to traveling with the train. So we try to investigate the whole end-to-end -end experience of our customers from different touch points of their journey. When they, after they book the ticket, for example, and then ride on the train, and even before that, find their platform, find the right wagons on the train. And while they're traveling on a train and after they, they arrive, like what is it actually the, their experience there? We designed a survey together and also we analyzed the result of the survey together. So yeah, I try to involve them as much as possible in the process. So it's been not only product teams, but also business colleagues as well. Cool. And it's, I guess it's been a, it's been a while now, right? That you've been on this journey at Flexbus and kind of yeah. like sharing the, the, the good word and getting people mm -hmm. on board with, with practicing UX. I guess it'd be interesting if you could maybe talk to us through how this, I guess it's, it's been a two-year journey or a little bit less, how this journey around growing this practice of UX and going through these different maturity stages has mm -hmm. been. And one of the things that I'm particularly interested in is at the outset, right, at the very first steps of this journey, in one of your articles, you talk about how sharing about UX internally and externally is important <laughs> and how you communicate around UX in the company. It's a question of, you know, raising awareness. <laughs> Do you have examples of communication or sharing strategies that have worked really well for you in, in, in these steps? So I would say maybe we can start internally. Uh, well, sharing about UX, what I did was, first of all, the research itself, sharing internally, meaning that when I conduct any research, for example, usable test, I always involve product managers or developers to to basically see the results of the research through videos. For example, I show them how the videos look like, how our customers probably struggling with using or interacting with our product. So that's one thing. And the second thing is there is always a platform where you can share the updates. At Flixbus, we have this all hands like every week. So I always take the time there back then to, to share what's happening and with UX and also with UX research. So yeah, just basically to inform everyone in the organization to, to know that we're doing something. And then, yeah, there's so many events also in the company for knowledge sharing. So there's also part of it that we can share and writing blog also something that I think you can also find the, the, the writing on Flix blog, Flix block and then you can find my writing there and also externally I started to to talk about this topic and share to the a wider audience starting with meetup so basically it's just just to help me to articulate my ideas on UX and to see if I'm going into the right direction by asking feedback from yeah. the community as well. So it's like one of the reasons why I, I started to communicate this externally. So to know that everyone is also, I'm not alone and everyone is also experiencing the same thing. So actually the good part of it is that I, I receive a lot of good feedback from the audience and they also invite me to, let's say, to meet and then talk about their, their challenges. So it's been like a really good community exchange, I would say. Yeah, that's, that's super interesting. And there's this other, this other part I'm super curious about, right? So if I look at the different maturity, UX maturity stages, yeah. there's this diagram in, in the five stages of UX maturity, right? There is this this part between awareness and adoption, which to me sounds like almost like a flipping moment where people mm -hmm. in the company just go, oh my God, we get it. 
like UX mm-hmm. should should be like this thing that is central and core to everything we do. When mm-hmm. how did you see this? First of all, was it an actual flipping moment? Could you was there a moment in the company where you thought, mm-hmm. guys, it's happening? Like people understand <laughs> understand what we what we're trying to do here. Was this yeah. like crystallized in, in, in a moment or a few moments or how, how did that happen? Well, uh, to be honest, I don't feel like it's uh, like really a flipping moment and we uh, like had a party or something to celebrate <laughs> that. But I think it started, everything started with when we at least I got an, like a message from another product manager to that they want to do something similar or like to have like a comment from people in general oh, this is really cool that actually people are struggling to use our product. This is something that I heard from a product manager that that actually was a part of reusability testing. And I feel like this is something that is eye-opening for them. And they realize this activity is actually bringing value to, to them and they just realize it and they haven't experienced something like that before. So I think that like, like those small moments when you realize people are 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 getting it, it's, it's something probably something more meaningful for me it just kind of happened like organically that. organically yes, over the time, it's very right? organic probably another moment it's the first time after i i did usable testing with internal employees actually and at the time after that we kind of adv- advanced the process and started to invite people are the real customers to our office to do usable testing maybe that is also one mm-hmm. one big moment when you actually talk to the real users the first time i talked to the real users and also we can incentivize them because usually when we go to the bus station mm-hmm. we don't really incentivize we talk to the people but we don't give mm-hmm. them a voucher or anything mm-hmm. but it's it's more like yeah yeah and more like I, that moment. I, I feel and i i actually leave this situation in, in some experiences i had there is there is something that is strong and important as well when you talk about the top down and bottom up uh, yeah. strategy to go to to go on a, on a more user-centered culture mm-hmm. um, you talk about how people shift to being more agent of change but mm-hmm. what's happening about when we talk about C-levels or stakeholders, did you feel anything about changing in their mindset? You see, like how they became more open to change and is it hard? Was it hard for you to make them more open to change? Because I have the feeling that it's something kind of hard for PM or product designer I used to talk with, you see. Mm, so your question is about how to convince the, the management yeah. stakeholders? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you have any key or things we can do for that? So how to, to convince them, you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. we, we're, we're expecting this big secret now. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So everything starts with a bottom up approach from my experience. We don't just go to the management and ask, hey, this is the approach that we want to go for and we want you to invest on it. It's not as easy as that. Yes, it's true. Because honestly, we also receive a little bit of resistance in the beginning. But I think it's because it's not that they don't want to, they're not open with it, but it's just because they don't see the value yet. So the most important thing for me that I can maybe share to others is basically you have to show people how to do it. You have to be kind of like, you have to lead by example. Don't just say that this is what we 
need to do from the article that I read or, or maybe like other companies are doing that. So you just have to start with something. So that's why I, I started with something really small, testing a really small feature that just from my assumption or I mean, we, we also had this talk with designer that I work with and we are kind of like allies and we have the same mindset. They want to challenge the status quo. So we work together. Okay, then maybe we can start with something like testing really small feature and see how, what happens. And then from there, by starting small, you can always show the value and people start to, to, to understand the value and get the buy-in slowly. Yeah, first you have to start with something small, build a lie, trying to find someone that has, has the same mindset and the same mm-hmm. goal as you, you are. And yeah, like ideally these people also have like a good position maybe in the company. So it's easier for this, for, for us to, to get other people to onboard with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess there's something about having something to show, right? It's almost like it's easier to convince people if you have proof or evidence of something. And in one of your articles, you talk about how at first, when you were setting up a user lab before, mm-hmm. before you even started sharing the, the findings, you mentioned that when you started, you didn't have the expertise or the resources mm-hmm. to actually yeah. run usability mm-hmm. tests, right? And I, I guess yeah. this is interesting because I personally speak to a lot of people in a lot of different companies that Mm -hmm. would like to take a discovery first approach. Like they would like to be doing discovery Mm -hmm. activities, but they struggle from going from zero to one, like going from, we do no user research to, Hey, let's do the first usability test or Hey, let's just call an end user and have a chat with them and record the call and see how it goes. What are some of the advice you would give these people that, that want to try and set up and launch like these mm-hmm. kind of activities? What are some of the advice you would give them and some of the examples of things they can do like in terms of first steps? Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's true. When, when I first started the, to do usable testing, I don't have any experience. I, I mean, I did, I did it in the past when in my study and also in previous company, but it not, not in like a really professionals in a professional setup. So I felt that I need to upgrade my skill as well at that time. So I started with, I actually, I, I read an article or I, I'm not sure an article or I listened to a podcast that says that if you want to start you doing interviews with users, don't start with talking to them because you will be bad at it. Because when, when you start interviewing people, there's a lot of things that you need to consider, especially like, for example, how to ask the questions, right? How to ask the right questions. So this, I think for the first time you will suck, <laughs> but, but you will learn along the way. So I would suggest that you will start with something with unmoderated remote user testing. This is how I did it. So I don't have to talk to them, but I kind of like give them the, the task and the script so they can they can participate voluntarily. That was actually with our Fixbus employees back then. So it already can give some insights by not talking to the users yet. But this is my way. You can also try a different way by already talking to them. But I would say maybe you start with having someone or like your friends or families just to try it first or your with your employees internally without before going to the the real users mm-hmm. that's how i would suggest that's super interesting do you feel stuck not knowing how to tackle a problem or you're looking for a solution to help your team members grow in their craft either way check out panache.io. Panache works with product leaders to bring expert insights and proven frameworks you can use in your role as a product person. Companies like Atlassian, Content Square, and Miracle 
all choose Panache to provide the right level of training and coaching to their product teams so they can perform at their best. Whether you're a product leader or an individual contributor, head to panache.io to get an idea of how we can help you level up today. Check out panache.io. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O. On this journey of, you know, democratizing UX as a practice in at, at Flixbus, right? What do you feel in hindsight now? What do you feel was one of the most challenging moments? And can you walk us through how you, you kind of tackled it? If we look at this five stages of UX maturity, Mm -hmm. from your point of view, what was one of the most challenging moments or stages and how did you go about tackling that? Okay, I think the most challenging moment is always the start. So the start, when when I talk about, when we talk about the the maturity stage, I started already on the second stage. So maybe just to give everyone overview of how the stages look like. So the first stage is, well, there's the absence of UX. There's no UX people, no practitioner involved in the product development process at all. And the second stage is where there is already a UX people, UX designers, for example, and but people don't know, people still don't understand what they are doing in general. So there's a lot of misunderstanding that UX designers are people who make things look nice. And this is something that I mostly the organizations are experiencing at this stage in particular. And the third stage is where UX is already established as a process. So people already know the value of it and people start wanting to have more of UX as a process, as an activity. And the fourth stage US uh, is the maturing stage where UX informs product strategy. This is where usually the, the process of the integration of UX research in the team is much more clear and people start to implement discovery research to inform the product strategy. So when actually the third stage, the research is more the evaluative part but in the fourth stage, UX research is already in the discovery part. And the the fifth stage is the integrated, where UX is part of a global strategy. And usually there's the, someone from the top management advocates for UX. So when I started at Flixbus, we started at the second stage already. So this is the most challenging for me because as a... I was a designer back then. I experienced people are struggling to understand what UX designers do. So I think like a lot of, as I said before, like communication, like doing internal and external communication and sharing to people what the value of UX is at this stage is the most challenging, but the most exciting part. And what we did in, at this stage is we had to conduct a lot of usability testing, you know, to show people. Yep. It's more about a quantity of usable testing that we did at mm-hmm. this stage. But I think the, the the downside of it that is that we realized when we are at this third stage already that we didn't pay enough attention to the quality of the research. So at the third stage, we start to pay more attention to the, the quality. That's why the process here is really, really important. We start to establish the best practices of the process and how to integrate the process into the team's process. So second stage is the most challenging at least from my experience. And you, you just mentioned how you realized maybe there was some, you know, challenge from a, a quality point of view yeah. uh, on, on the research. Can you give us an example of how that mm-hmm. materialized? Yes. For example, how to ask the right questions, right? I mean, this is something that we, we miss because we, we focus a lot on the quantity of the research and sometimes we miss how to ask the right questions in the survey. So to give an example, let's say there's a research request from a team that wants to build a new feature and we don't know yet if 
people would like it or not. We don't know how people would react to this new feature. So there were some questions that asked, like, imagine if there's this feature, this new feature, would you use it or not? Like, how likely would you use this feature? So we learned that this question is not something that is it's not a best practice to ask because people are bad in predicting the future. So they, they don't know, they are, they're bad at, at that and they don't know what they want. So asking this question is not the a good example. So we learn along the way that the question that we should ask is something more about their past experience and ask them to measure that experience. For example, how is your experience with finding the FlixTrain platform, for example? Mm-hmm. And from one, from a scale of one to seven, one is very difficult, seven is very easy. And then we ask why. So this is one of the biggest learnings when we talk about the quality of the, of the research. Cool. And so you, you tackle the, um, the quantity of the research and the quality. Today, do you assume to be more in stage five or like mm-hmm. between four and five? Like where are you today? At well, it's not, it's not easy to, to justify it like that. And our organization is now in this, this stage because it actually, we learn also when we apply this method that each team has different maturity stage as well. Mm-hmm. So this is maybe something, I mean, if especially if Flixbus is a quite big organization, each team might have different maturity stage. So I would say But if I have to paint the same brush, uh, I would say maybe like around uh, still at the third third stage going into the fourth stage. It takes time. Mm. It takes time. Yeah. And it's a, it's a never ending journey, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. It's a never ending (laughs) journey. Yeah. Let's take a few questions maybe from the audience. I see some people that have dropped some questions in. So Baptiste here has got a question for us. So he's saying, who takes the decision on what UX research will be conducted? What kinds of inputs do you take and outputs do you deliver? I can share from my experience at Flixbus. I don't know what happens in the other organization, but usually we, let's say we receive research requests from stakeholders. We have like a service desk that people can input their research, their research requests. So the inputs, I think I mentioned earlier, I don't know if this is something that you meant, Baptiste, but first we take the inputs from the stakeholders about the, the background information, if there's any other data that has been there before, for example, the, the result from A-B tests or the market research insights. So background information, research goals, what do they want to achieve from this research? And if they have already existing hypotheses, what are they? And there's research questions. And also what is the benefit and the impact, the business impact of if we run this research? Some metrics as well, UX metrics, if they have any. And user profile is also very important for us to, to see the, the, what is the segmentation of the user that we want to target. So this is, if that's what he meant by that, that's the input. And who takes the decision. So usually we receive their requests in our service desk and then we talk between the team. Between us, we, we prioritize based on the, the impact of the user and impact to the business. And we also have internal KPIs that we are using as a team that we want to achieve. So that based on those three considerations, we decide ourselves about the research that we will conduct. So every quarter, we also plan a research roadmap that we also present to the organization. And the outputs that we deliver is that we deliver the research report. Usually it's a wiki page that we design. As I said before, we created a template of how the 
the research could be documented and everything is in the research repository wiki page. So we also have a repository so people can search from the previous findings as well. Okay, I hope that Thanks. answers the question. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfect. Next question. So we've got a question here from Martin who's saying, besides integrating marketing in product research, how does UX research or can they help marketing with go-to-market or messaging, for example? I guess there's a wider question here around how does user research as a function support other practice practices other than product management, right? So okay. how does user research support marketing? How does user research support, I don't know, customer success, et cetera, et cetera? So I can maybe give an example of one of the projects that we actually support international business development to enter a new market. Yeah, that sounds um, good. Yeah. So... I, I'm not sure if I can say it here, but I, would, I can just say that we were looking into several markets and new market, really different than Europe. So, <laughs> <laughs> so actually our, our team was proactively pitching this idea to the international business development that we can, we can somehow complement their due diligence research. So there was already market research done, but in this market research, it's, it's mainly, it shows mainly about how potential this market is, but it's not so much showing how the behavior of people are in, in the market. So when looking into this country, we want to understand how is it actually who are the people who are traveling with bus there and what are, what is their behavior? What is, is there any uh, interesting characteristics coming from this market? Yeah. So this is something that we also try to pitch and uh, communicating to our colleagues back then still, we need, we still need to communicate what is the difference between market research and user research, which is yep. actually not super crystal clear for them. So yeah, actually, yeah, but we managed to, to support them and also get the buy-in to, to do the research in those markets. So thanks for that. That was great. Just off the back of that, we've got another question, which is actually, it's a good segue into this international business development case study. So Charles is saying when your company operates out of several countries, like it's the case for Flixbus, mm -hmm. how do you manage to run research with people speaking different languages? Yeah, this is a very interesting question. I, I got this question all the time as well. With Flixbus, our biggest market is currently in, I mean, in Dach region. Uh, Germany is one of the, the biggest market, but we also have France, Italy, Turkey just recently and the US as well. So we use, as I said before, we use this tool called UserZoom yeah. uh, that helps us also to, to be able to reach these people from different markets. And yeah, we, for example, we want to run research in Turkey. So we basically need to design the research ourselves. And then we communicate with the localization team to help translate this script. And then we run the survey into in this market. And so there is some plan that we talk with the user zone in order to reach reach out to people in this market to use their their pool of participants and at the same time also we can use our own database that we we distribute the survey or the, any kind of research method to people from our own database so yeah and can I add a, a question to that? What about inside sharing when you are in different markets? Because you have user research repository. Mm -hmm. So what is the language you use in your, yeah. in your repository? 
Is it English? What is it? It's English, but let's say if I just recently run a survey in German,、mm. I have to keep both languages. Yeah, it's it's a little bit more work for us, but at least it helps us to get the the context. And because it like sometimes、yeah. different language has different contexts, and it's、mm. really good to still keep the main the main language there. Which is German. So you would you would just to clarify, you would send the survey out in two languages, or you would translate the results of the survey. Translate the results. Okay. Translate the results of the survey to English. But there's some cases we also run the survey into two languages or two markets. For example, UK or US for for English version, and then we do German for. Germany.、Mm. Okay, sounds good. Another question here from Bartin, who's asking: When starting UX research in a non-mature company,、mm-hmm. if we need to focus our efforts, should user research rather help build the right thing, i.e., inform the strategy,、mm-hmm. or help build the thing right, i.e., usability testing? Yeah. So、um, from the second stage, when I started, actually, we need to focus more in the usability testing. So evaluative research is something that we should push more here. And because by that you you can you can show people the value of doing user research, starting with usable testing, and then when the, the the company is getting more mature, you can start with informing the strategy, which is introducing more discovery research in this stage. So start with usable testing, and then discovery. Research. Great, perfect. And then we've got two questions here, which I think are really interesting from somebody starting who's going to start in a in a company soon. So, Kiori is asking. I think this is really interesting. What to do when a startup that I'm going to work at is at the first stage of UX maturity? <laughs> the role will be UI UX, but they want me to jump immediately to the prototype without any prior research.、Mm-hmm. At the same I'm, my role includes UX as well, and it doesn't feel right for me to just jump into the wireframing prototyping、mm-hmm. without any research. Also, I wish to build my portfolio. So,、mm-hmm. what what advice have you got for Kiori here? Yeah, I think it's it's really like a, a challenge that everyone, like a lot of people, are experiencing these days because we know that a lot of people are switching roles or starting just starting their role. As a UI UX in a startup, so I, I can feel I can feel you.、So、I would say that it's there. There will be a lot of I wouldn't say education, but advocating for for this. I would say that maybe when you start, you can first trying to understand what is the the culture of the company, what is the culture of the、uh, startup that you're working. Are they Like open to change? Are they open to you giving some initiatives or giving some inputs on on the the process? Because you are the designer, you, you know that the process should ideally start with research. But I would say that you you can yeah like after you kind of like observe how the situation looks like, you can start doing your thing and not just not doing it right away. Of course, you want to still do your job right like the the first day. Maybe they, what they need is like to start already with a prototype. Maybe they have done like a pre. Preliminary research before you don't know, right? So start with understanding the, the the people in the company. What is the their what is it like the culture there? What is it the is there any research done before? So trying to understand that and then start to build your strategy around that. Not jumping right away and tell, hey, I want to do research right away. Maybe that's not the right effort, the right approach as well. Hope that answers. The question. Yeah, we're we're <laughs> wishing you're a good luck anyway with this new job. 
And I, I assume that we can as well use people that already talk to users in the company when we don't uh, really have the space to do it ourselves. I mean, exactly. Like care agents or people from customer success, they already talk to people. So maybe you can start to work with them to understand the issues, the problem. And that's kind of part of research. I think. Exactly. And yes, maybe also to bring back my experience, I started with testing with employees. You can start with that too. I can see the challenge is also to convince the management to, to in, you know, like to invest in like giving an incentive to the people that you're testing. So starting small, again, it's a good approach for that. Brilliant. So I guess, so we've got about nine minutes left here before we wrap up. I guess I'd like to use this time to kind of get a an idea of, you know, if you had to maybe sum up this these last few years at, at Flix, right? Mm-hmm. And you had you had to let's say you were going to write a a, a retrospective medium article <laughs> about everything that you've mm. learned and and if you wanted to pass on some of the the wisdom to the wider UX community. So what are some of the what are some of the key things you think in hindsight would have made a very big difference for you if you had known these things ahead of time? Yeah. So First, when you, especially when you start working in a new company, as I said before, I would suggest that you observe what is like, try to learn what is the status quo of the UX in the organization, use the UX maturity stage and understand what are the challenges that you need to tackle. So first trying to observe that, talk to the people and see how the product is looking like, how's the product development looks like, trying to investigate more on that first. And then once you know the challenge, uh, Let's say you're at the second stage like I, I was. Usually most of the companies are at the second stage already. Start to, yeah, like understand the challenge. Start to start small. Don't try to push things really fast. Don't try to include product discovery already, but start with building awareness first, communicating with people the value of UX by showing the example. So do the research itself. Do the usability testing. Start with something small. Start with testing it with employees first and show it to people. The value will, will show itself. So take the time. Don't don't rush too much. And also a very important thing is you cannot do it alone. You have to uh, build your ally in the company. Try to find people with like-minded mindset like yours. And it could help you to bring this into the bigger audience in the company. So yeah, you cannot do it alone. It's it's a try. It's a bottom up approach. So yeah, find the right allies for you. Yeah, and last but not least, I think keep keep doing it and and be patient, as I said before, and always keep track in the maturity stage to see if you're progressing or not. Okay, that's super interesting. Thanks for that. We've got a few questions here. Yeah. From our from our good friend Solène. So she's asking, how does the ultimate UX mature company look like? Should everyone be a user researcher? I guess what I would add to this is, in your opinion, do you see this as a positive thing if a larger number of people in the company across the whole company are doing some form of research? Mm-hmm. That's also a very interesting question. I have never been in this really like high UX maturity stage, so I couldn't tell myself, but I would see that there should be a strong advocation from the management for any research initiative. So I would say that the researchers, there, there should be 
a researcher in each of the team uh, embedded to the team that's like the perfect setup so i would say that would be that would be something really ideal for that environment and at the same time you don't have to you don't have to fight for budgets for proving that ux research is is an uh, integral part of the product development everyone is kind of like saying and spreading the words themselves so you don't have to fight for it so i would see that is what looks like in the very ultimate mature company but when it comes to everyone should be a researcher i'm not sure about that because research is also a discipline it's not only an activity so you have Correct. to be able to have this fundamental like a basic of like best practices and methodology for research. So I wouldn't say that, but at least to have the right mindset to be able to ask questions. This is what people always miss. They they don't ask their burning questions and they don't spend enough time to invest in answering their burning questions, answering their business questions, answering their strategic questions. So I think this should be applied for people from not only from tech, also from business to be able to ask these questions and challenge that and invest some time in getting the right data from research. Mm. So... what about what about continuous discovery process in that? Because assuming that we have one researcher in each team in kind of ideal company with an ideal customer-centric culture, what do you think about continuous discovery? And do you think it's possible to find a process where user researchers are continuously looking for insights or looking for problems, you see? Sure. Sure. I think, I think to me, it could be something different from our different organization that I, I've heard that some organizations have this innovation lab. I'm not sure if that works, to be honest, because then it's then putting research in silos. I mm. think the research should be I mean, each product team needs to be able to have that mindset of product discovery and innovation. So they should plan it somehow in in their roadmap to have at least one item to do a discovery every quarter. So this is something that we're also trying to push that um, at least with one team that they already have a roadmap item only for research, discovery Mm -hmm. research. Always looking forward kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that's really interesting. So before we wrap up here, I guess I wanted to also take this opportunity to maybe ask you whether, you know, you think we've kind of talked about all the important things here, because I guess we could we could be talking about UX and product discovery for, for longer. But is there anything you feel we haven't talked about that you think, you know, people out there should know? Well, I think maybe how to do the product discovery itself. Yep. I think that from my practice in the past, I, I, I believe that having design sprint as one of the frameworks, I mean, it doesn't have to be design sprint. There are also other ideation or innovation frameworks out there to spend at least like one sprint, maybe, I mean, even it's like half sprint, right? Design sprint is only one week to, to, to really invest in that process because I've mm-hmm. seen that we, we, we did a few design sprints in the past and it, it's growing the 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 need is, is is there the need is growing and I've recently just facilitated a design sprint for for a very strategic project so that it helps a lot to know what framework that you can use and also in really invest a time at least one week you can be more efficient with with your time right because you don't have to 
you, you can avoid your time in exchanging emails or like having unnecessary meetings. So yeah. being really productive, I think it's, it's really important because I feel like sometimes people don't want to invest in design sprint because it's like, oh, it's like five days, but actually you save a lot of time there in the future. And it's very efficient and productive process that you get, get everyone aligned also in this activity. Amazing. Roxanne, did you, did you want to say anything before we kind of wrap up here? Well, I mean, I have a lot of questions, but it's more linked to the repository and things like this and okay. how, how, share, how, how can you yeah, how how can you share valuable insights and how it is to 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 lead this repository as well? Is it you, uh-huh. user researcher, that give inputs to the repository, or are you like several people to to use it, like cook and eat the data? How how it works in a day to day basis to with this repository actually, this knowledge uh, basis with this repository? I think it's one of the ways that we want to make the research collaborative. It's also part of of it that, uh, for example, for the template of the report. We we include executive summary there when so people can can skip the heavy data about the, the insights they can already write the the summary because we also did this. We also did research on that. We didn't just come up with that. We did research. We interviewed stakeholders and product managers at Flix to know what what kind of insights that they they want to get, like how they read insight. So they only like to read like a one-liner, for example. So yeah, in this executive summary, you can also include in, instead of only not only including the the insight itself and like list of insights, but also at the same time you can put the status and also mention names there, people who are responsible for that, and also put Jira ticket probably there so you know that it's it's people are will people will take responsibility out of that. So it's not just another insight, but people will take this this insights into into yeah the action points. Cool. That's also the important part. And last question I have with this repository, do you and this new way of communicating data and sharing insight in knowledge, do you think it's more time saving? For everybody, or is it also time-consuming somehow? Mm-hmm. And how do you just handle that? I think if we see what is the what is the goal for having research repository, we want people that we want to avoid people in the future to do double work of research, right? Because then if there's one topic coming up, they can they can check if there's already an existing mm-hmm. insights before, and we kind of avoid people to do double work. That's like one of the, the goal for research repository. So right. any effort that to, we can do there is actually saving time for future. Cool. So at least we can spend one day or like a few hours. It's not like a long time actually to to include this report in the template. Yeah, so I don't think it's, it's a big investment of time. Cool, thank you. You're welcome. Great, thank you so much. Luki, I guess it's time for us to thank you for taking the time to do this with us today. Super interesting to hear from your experience at Flix and how mm-hmm. you've gone through the different UX maturity stages. If people want to reach out, can they, how, how can they do that? They can just add me on LinkedIn and we can have a chat to, through the DM message. So yeah, I'll, I'm, I'll be really happy to answer your questions there. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. And yeah, I guess to the people who are looking at this video now or listening to us as this episode will be available later on as podcast episode on our next show, we'll be hosting the user research team at Miro, the online visual collaboration tool. And we'll be talking about how they've been scaling the practice of user research at Miro. So I guess we'll be learning a lot from them as well. 
well. Thank you again, Roxanne, for being here and being my co-host today. Yeah, we'll be we'll be talking to you guys in about three to four weeks' time. Enjoy these, I guess, not so beautiful days, as we were saying earlier. And yeah, speak to you guys soon. And yeah, do reach out if you have any other questions around, you know, UX, practicing product discovery or how to, you know, bring about change in your organization. Thanks, Thank everyone. You. Thank you so Thanks much for having me. If you're hearing this, you've listened to this episode all the way. And for that, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite platform. Also, if you have a minute, please consider giving us a rating as it helps other listeners find the show. You can find all the episodes and resources on panache.io slash podcast. That's P-A-N-A-S-H dot I-O slash podcast. Until next time.